Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, your guide to the fundamentals of better deer hunting. Presented by First Light, creating proven, versatile hunting apparel for the stand, saddle, or blind. First Light, go farther, stay longer. And now, your host, Tony Peterson. Hey everyone, welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. I'm your host, Tony Peterson. And today, I'm going to talk about how to hunt deer where there just aren't very many of them. I truly believe that there are just a few situations where you can learn to be a really good overall deer hunter. If you focus on big woods deer, you'll probably get there provided you put in the work. Or if you just happen to hunt someplace with low deer numbers, which not coincidentally happens to be in the big woods a lot, you're going to get there. The challenge of hunting a small population of deer is real, and it's a proving ground for your skills. Now, it's not necessary to go seek out someplace like this, but it is a good idea to understand what to do when you're struggling to just find deer or where every encounter is truly a gift. That's what this episode is all about. And even if you hunt a place with 100 deer per square mile, you should listen because there's going to be something in here for you too. I've only been to the state of California a handful of times, and each trip was either for a pig hunt or a blacktail hunt. So it wasn't like I spent a lot of time shopping or hanging out at Disneyland or anything like that. It was, to my surprise, at least the first time I went, kind of in an amazing dichotomy. The bigger cities made me feel like I was allergic to the environment, while the areas we hunted made me feel like I was in Wyoming or Montana or some other western state with very few people and a lot of really cool ground that I wanted to hunt. It was weird But life is like that when you get a little bit of exposure to things that are outside of your normal world. Now, if you take a city like San Francisco, for example, you can break this down even a little bit further. 
The city by the bay has sort of become a poster child for the stark difference between the haves and the have-nots. Tech executives and other C-suite high-income folks live there in numbers that are way overrepresented from, say, I don't know, Omaha, Nebraska, for a totally absurd example. The median rent in San Francisco as of October of this year was $3,376 a month. That's a healthy house payment in most of the country and could buy you damn near a mansion in some places. Now, just because I was curious, I looked up the median rent in Omaha and it came in at $1,350, which to me actually seemed pretty high as well, but it's also been a long time since I rented. Anyway, as you can imagine, buying a house in San Francisco or even going out to eat or playing around a golf, it's going to be pretty damn expensive compared to the rest of the country. And you have thousands and thousands of people who can afford to do any of those things. And they are living right next to a pretty substantial homeless population. Roughly 8,000 people live on the streets of San Francisco. But I don't know how accurate that is. I don't know how they'd count them. It doesn't matter for this podcast. I just point that out to illustrate something. There are Silicon Valley execs and homeless people living in the same block or within at least a few blocks of one another. They're both technically residents of the same city, I guess, but their individual existence from day-to-day life couldn't be further apart. Now, I don't know anyone who would be so dumb as to suggest that just because those two types of people live in the same general place, that they experience the same general lives. That would be stupid and obviously disingenuous. Yet we do this all the time in hunting. We stereotype our fellow hunters or the difficulty of our deer hunting based around somewhat arbitrary things like what state we live in or how many gun hunters there are in our county. We take credit for how tough our personal hunting might be by attaching something to it that might not have any actual effect on how difficult our hunting is. You know, the number of folks who buy a gun tag is just a good example of this. You know, even if you live in Pennsylvania or Michigan or Wisconsin or some other state with several hundred thousand firearms hunters, what really matters is what happens in the general neighborhood of your hunting spots. Now, I know a lot of folks who live in high hunter density states who also control decent sized chunks of ground. They don't really struggle killing big bucks in any given year because their experience isn't the general experience of other hunters. It's unique to them. This is one of the reasons why I talk so much about going out and figuring this stuff out on your own. It's also why I always caution against taking too much advice from anyone whose hunting experience is vastly different from yours. If somebody controls 6,000 acres of land in the heart of the best deer country out there, and they tell you planting a certain type of brassicas will definitely help you arrow a giant in the late season, what they mean is they want you to spend money on a product they get paid to use, which also helps them shoot giants in the late season because they have amazing hunting. But what good does that do you? What's worse, and I promise you this is true, most of the deer hunting advice you're going to get is going to come from people who hunt where the density is really, really high. If you don't hunt a similar situation, most of the advice you're getting has very little bearing on your hunts and will probably make things worse. Now, I know I talked about this last week, but I want to break this down further because I think it's super important. Take, I don't know, the first time I tried to find a good buck on public land in North Dakota, scratch that. Take the first day I tried to find a good buck on public land in North Dakota. 
As I sat up on that ridge with my spotting scope and my binoculars a couple days before the season opened, a long time ago, I saw 15 bucks that I considered good enough for my non-resident tag. Now, I killed the smallest of those 15 bucks on the first night, and he ended up scoring 140 as a clean eight. At the same time, I was messing around on public land in Minnesota near the Twin Cities. I couldn't find 15 deer total there in an entire season and was super lucky to see a deer on any given sit. Advice or strategies on how to hunt that North Dakota spot might have been the worst thing I could have done while hunting those chunks of public land here 45 minutes from the concrete jungle. This can be broken down further because that's kind of an extreme example. Take where I hunt in southeastern Minnesota. The farm that I've roamed around on since I was 15 looks amazing on paper and in person, but it's owned by a dairy farmer who is not a huge fan of deer eating his crops. He doesn't really care about whitetails and is very happy when a bunch of them get shot every year. That farm has a decent population of deer because it is, you know, in southeastern Minnesota, mildish winters, good egg, all that stuff. But it's pretty tough to find a big one on there in any given year. There's just a lot of pressure in all the seasons, but it's really obvious during the gun season when large parties of shotgun hunters push the woods every day. Now, this property corners up to a different property that my buddy has leased for several years. It's also a place that I bought into this year. It's about a third of the size of the dairy farm next to it and doesn't have a whole lot of cover. In fact, I'd say it's probably about 20% woods and the rest is just fields. But the pressure is highly controlled. The deer know this and it's always good in there and only gets better when the neighboring properties start to really get pounded. It's one of the most fun and honestly easiest places I've ever hunted. Now, part of that is because my buddy is a pretty good deer hunter and he has the place figured out. But it's also just a function of low pressure and good ground. The only difference between the lease and my permission farm next to it is how many people go in there to shoot deer on any given season. This affects everything, and it highlights a key point to this podcast. Deer density is relative. It might be awesome on one farm and terrible on the neighbor's. You can't draw a ton of conclusions from a 30,000-foot view of your hunting ground. You have to be honest about what you're working with and what you find on the ground. I think that starts with thinking about how high or low your deer density really is. Not what your state is or your county is, but what's happening on your, your property. Like, where are you hunting? Now, this is totally arbitrary, so bear with me. But a good way to understand if you're working with a truly low deer density is to think about how surprised you are to blank on any given sit. If you're like, holy shit, I can't believe I didn't see a single deer this afternoon, you probably have a fairly high deer density or way too much confidence in yourself. If you're like, well, I thought I'd see one, but I didn't, then you're probably working with lower deer density. And if you are, you're going to have to cater your strategy to handle this needle in the haystack reality. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. 
With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth this all begins with sign whether you're winter scouting or summer scouting or in-season scouting any and all deer sign you can find so important this is not the case with high deer density hunts because a lot of deer make a lot of sign but not a lot of deer makes a not a lot of sign if you find a crossing in the swamp that has a okay amount of tracks in it, that's a big deal. A concentration of rubs in a creek bottom that cuts its way through a huge tract of timber, also a big deal. Several beds on a slight knob in a sea of trees, big deal. A good-sized scrape in a place where two old logging roads intersect, you guessed it, big deal. Now this is where a lot of hunters struggle. They might see a rub on a one inch in diameter sapling and not pay it any attention. Or they might see a small scrape and just assume it was some scrapper passing through who felt a little excited for a little while. But the truth is, if you don't have a lot of deer to deal with, every bit of sign is a clue to how the deer use the area. For high deer density hunts, a lot of sign is the equivalent to white noise. You just need to drown it out a bit, find the stuff that matters. In areas where you might only have a dozen deer per square mile, that little rub tells you a lot. This is because your job is to get around deer first. We don't acknowledge this a whole lot, but so many people have hunting situations where they already know they're going to be around a ton of deer just by getting into the woods. They don't have to try to be around deer because they just will be. So they have the luxury of trying to get close to big bucks and focus on that goal. 
Now that has bled into other hunting situations, but I promise you this, if you hunt really low deer density stuff, you won't get close to too many big deer until you figure out how to consistently get close to just deer. Think about it this way. If you don't know how to consistently catch a limit of eater size walleyes, you're probably not going to want to target 30 inch plus fish if you get my drift. All sign is important to the low deer density hunter because what little sign there is was made by the deer you have to hunt. I can't make it any more simple than that. Now, if that sounds a little depressing, sorry, it's about to get worse. I can't prove this because it's anecdotal, but when I hunt where there are not very many deer, I feel like the deer are just generally harder to kill. They seem to be on their A game for spotting me in a tree, and they seem to be very intolerant of my mistakes. This is probably due to two reasons. The fewer prey animals there are, the more they are targeted by all predators. It's also probably because every blown encounter represents a limited chance going bye-bye. It's not like you can spook a buck in the big woods and just expect several more to come down the trail. That might you know, have been your one chance all day or all week or likely all season. And it's not just the big bucks. The does that live where few deer live seem to be real cagey. They are tasked with raising fawns in areas where the living ain't easy, and that puts them on red alert a lot. If you have 50 deer per square mile where you hunt, getting blown at by a doe sucks, but it's not that big of a deal. She's going to run off and other deer will walk in eventually. If that's the only doe in the 300 acres you like to hunt, or at least one of the only does around, that's a different story. Now, mistakes are going to be made, but the more you make with limited amount of deer, the harder the whole thing gets, and this can snowball pretty quickly. This is because you can't just move down the ridge and hit the reset button, knowing that a bunch of deer are still around. You are most likely going to have to find them again and be even more careful and then try to capitalize on your scouting and your mobility and hope you don't blow it again, all while hunting a small number of deer that are trying real hard to not die. Because I've spent a lot of my time hunting in situations like this, I'm overly cautious about trying anything extra on my sits. You know, the guy who hunts private land in Iowa can rattle all he wants because he's going to get a positive response eventually. And it doesn't matter much if he has some negative interactions. It'll all work out. If you bang those same antlers together where the deer are few and far between, you're already creating a scenario for the deer to encounter something they just don't expect. You're also almost guaranteeing that the deer that do respond will do so in a cautious way where they'll approach downwind. It's not to say that calling or decoying or using sense can't work. It certainly can. You just have to do the right due diligence on your setup and the conditions to make sure the odds are in your favor as much as they can be. Most hunters don't do that. They instead use these tactics to try to make something happen because they aren't having the encounters they want from their hunting tactics and effort. There's a huge difference between the two. There's another consideration with low deer density hunts I want to talk about, which is just randomness. It seems random to see a buck do something once every 10 or 20 sits. It's probably not, though. If you hunted in, I don't know, Pike County, Illinois, or Buffalo County, Wisconsin on private ground, you might see a buck walk a certain ridge one day and not the next. But a few days later, he or another buck 
will probably walk that ridge. The odds are good that where a buck walked today, other deer are going to walk tomorrow. The odds are good that a big woods buck that crosses a creek one morning might not repeat that pattern anytime soon, but he or other deer will likely travel the same route at some point. This is something that is very, very hard for me to acknowledge because it leads to a lot of second guessing if I observe something and then can't get it to quickly repeat. But most deer in most situations aren't as predictable day to day as we'd like them to be. They do eventually run the same routes and patterns, but it's nothing for there to be a few days in between. This means that not only is sign real important to low deer density hunts, but so is observation. Even if it seems random, it's probably not. It just might only happen a couple of times a week or less. This is something that trail cameras show us, yet we kind of gloss over it to see what we want to see. If you do this where a few deer live, you'll miss a lot of the clues that tell you where you should volume hunt and when you should really be there. It's hard to do when you're stacking up the blanks or just not seeing many deer, but you have to try to do this in order to understand how it works. This is how my daughter and I both killed our northern Wisconsin deer this year. It was just a matter of factoring in the odds that eventually a buck would emerge from the swamp to cruise a certain wood line. And while it took a lot of hours, two bucks did just that. We never saw any other deer, but we saw two we wanted to shoot, and we shot them. Low deer density hunts are like this, and they can be frustrating as hell, but they will make you better, and they sure are rewarding when they go right. Now, the other side of the coin are those places where the deer are thick, that situation is more fun to hunt for most folks and it actually comes with its own set of challenges now that's what i'm going to talk about next week so come back for more if you're so inclined that's it for this week i'm tony peterson this has been the wire to hunt foundations podcast as always thank you so much for your support truly appreciate you listening and reading the articles and heading on over to TheMeatEater.com and consuming all of our content we we honestly truly appreciate that so thank you for that like I said, if you go over there, you're going to find a lot of stuff. It's not just whitetail stuff. You're going to find recipes. You're going to find hunting series. You're going to find other podcasts, a ton of different content to consume, which you're probably going to want here because it's going to be, you know, the dead of winter, the, the hunting seasons are going to end and you're not going to have a lot to do. So that's a good place to go. TheMeatEater.com. Thanks again. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.